Again, it's good to be with you. I'm glad Nate and Jason could get us uh, up to date on what's happening here around Hillcrest, and it's good to be together on Easter morning. I want to start with a, a little bit of a, a history lesson. I'm going to take you back. About 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Marcus Fabius Quintilianus. Isn't that a great name? Marcus Fabius. If I had a boy, I think that's the name I would give him. Middle name, Fabulous, right? Uh, he wrote a 12-book uh, volume uh, around how to speak in front of people, how to bring orator oratory to people. And so uh, that's a book I read this last week to get ready for this morning uh, as we prepared for this morning. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But uh, here's something that Marcus said a long time ago. Write quickly, and you will never write well. But write well, and you will soon write quickly. Isn't that good? Huh? It's a little, hmm, Interesting. Good thoughts from Marcus this morning. Now, you've probably never heard of him. He's not why we're here this morning. You'll probably never hear his name again, but he lived about 2,000 years ago. About the same time, uh, another historian, a Greek historian from Egypt named Pamphylia, wrote 33-volume history uh, capturing the stories and the biographies of ancient people. And she wrote in such a great way that future historians, for hundreds of years after she wrote, they would quote her often and, and kind of label her as a master storyteller. Uh, but you're not here because of her either this morning. We're here because of another person that lived 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who walked the earth and spoke about a new movement of God in the, on the planet, who, who brought the kingdom of God in a powerful way, who, who changed people's lives and continues to change our lives even today, right now in this room. We're here because Jesus, who was a contemporary of Marcus and Pamphylia, that he, he lived and he died and he came back to life. Remarkably, came out of the grave. History reveals to us that this happened. And, and Jesus said before he died, even died on that cross, he said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He said this won't be the end of the story. Now, that's why we're here this morning. Now, you might be thinking, well, Nate, you don't know why I'm here this morning, right? You might be saying to yourself, I'm here because I was promised candy if I showed up to be with my mom, right? Or you might be saying, well, I'm here because I like to make my dad smile about once every six months by showing up at a church meeting, and so that's why I'm here. You might be here because you woke up this morning and you said, maybe it'd be good to go to church today. It's Easter. It seems like a good day to go to church. We all have our reasons for being here this morning, for tuning in online. Some of those good reasons, some not so good reasons, but, but I believe you're here because God is working in your life. I believe God is moving in your heart. I believe that God is always 
doing something in us, even when we're not aware of it, that he is uh, about life transformation. And that's why you're here this morning, because his, his grace and his love is something that your heart aches for, and you're longing for something different. We're here because Jesus not only lived 2,000 years ago, but he transformed lives and changed the world, split time. I mean, we're here because of the stories of Jesus. Another historian who wrote about belief in Christ back uh, during the spread of the Roman Empire, there's a senator named Tacitus who wrote about 100 years after Jesus. And uh, in his histories, he wrote about the fire in Rome in 64 AD, this incredible fire. And he wrote about how the emperor at that time, Nero, blamed the Christians for that fire. And uh, here's what we can read in his histories. Nero substituted as culprits and punished with the utmost refinements of cruelty a class of men loathed for their vices whom the crowd styled Christians. Can you imagine Christians being hated because of their behavior, because of how they lived life? Christ, the founder of the name, had undergone the, penalty, the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procreator Pontius Pilate, and a pernicious superstition was checked for the moment, only to break out all the more, not merely in Judea, the home of the disease, but in the capital of Rome itself. When Tac what Tacitus calls a superstition and a disease would continue to bring new life to hundreds of people, to thousands of people, eventually to millions of people. Those first followers of Jesus could not contain what they had experienced, how they had walked with Jesus for years, watched him die on a cross, and then encountered him alive again after he died. And that historical fact so compelled them that they could not hold it to themselves but they had to begin to talk about what he had done. The Spirit of God empowered them. And here we are two millennia later, still talking about Jesus, a name from history that most of us have heard before. And that's why Jesus came to bring to us an understanding of God's great love for us and to invite us into a different kind of life, not just any kind of life, but a full life, the best kind of life, a life with spiritual power, with hope, with understanding, with purpose the kind of life that Jesus came to give us. And, and so often we settle for something less than that. We settle for something else. How, how would you uh, define the best life, the good life? What would that look like for you? It has different definitions. In our house, uh, I'm often the one that goes out in grocery shops and brings all the ingredients home, and then Angela's the one that puts the meal together. So last week, I went out grocery shopping, and I got a, a lot of more vegetables than normal. I mean, there was recipes she wanted to do that I just had a lot of greens. And so I packed them into our refrigerator. And at one point, she opened up the fridge after all this, these vegetables were in there, and she said something like, you know you're living your best life when there's more vegetables in the fridge than there are cookies in the cabinet. You know, that was... <laughs> It's kind of her understanding of the good life. That was the good life for Angela. The good life, when, uh, when you get that text, you, you realize that your kids don't only, they, they not only believe you exist, but they send you a text, and you get that text from your kid. That's the good life. Of course, right after the high is the little, hey, can I borrow 25 bucks? But, you know, love isn't cheap, right? Uh, the good life, what's it like for you? The good life, when you can start your day slow, with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and just enjoy the sunshine or the sun rising. The good life when you have something to, to offer to a friend. When, when, when they're hurting and you're not like sure, you're like, I've got something to give. I can be with them. I can walk alongside them. When you have something to offer, instead of feeling on the empty on the inside, you say, no, I've got love I can offer to them. How would you, cop how would you capture the good life? 
That idea of emptiness, maybe that's the opposite of the good life. If the good life is over here, then the empty life might be on the other side. The life you were created for is what the good life is. And then there's that empty life that sometimes we find ourselves encountering. How would you describe your life this morning? Is it a a busy life? Is it an anxious life? Is it an angry life? There, There are different kinds of life that we can embrace. And Jesus had something to say about the kind of life that he wanted us to live. I want to look at a place in the stories of scripture where Jesus said, I want you to have a full life. So if you want to grab a Bible and open up to John chapter 10, you can open up your Bible app on your phone, John chapter 10, verse 10. We're going to look at a place where Jesus talked about this life that he, he brought to us and created us for. John's gospel here tells us the stories of Jesus. And John was a close friend of Jesus, a disciple And whenever John referred to himself in this story that he wrote, he says, I'm the one that Jesus loved. He didn't use his name. He would just say, the one that Jesus loved. It's an interesting way to see yourself, I think. What if I referred to myself as the one that Angela loved, right? said, good morning. I'm the one that Angela loves. You'd be like, all right, weirdo. You know, I'd be like, okay. But that's how John saw himself. His identity was anchored in this idea of the one beloved by Jesus. And Jesus here, he's done an incredible thing. He's changed, transformed someone's life, brought healing to someone. And the religious leaders are watching this happen. And they're not excited about how Jesus is operating. They're not excited about what Jesus is doing. And so he tells them a story to try to illustrate the kind of way he wants to bring to the people of God. John 10, verse 10. Here's what Jesus said. He talks about the good shepherd. And he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. And then verse 14, Jesus says, but I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus calls himself uh, the good shepherd. When I was typing that into my computer to type this out this morning, it kept wanting to autocorrect the good shepherd to a good shepherd. And I'm like, no, no, he's not a good shepherd. He's not one of many. He's the good shepherd, the one that came to lay his life down for the sheep. He's the one who came to give us life. And do you see the kind of life he came to give us? That little phrase in verse 10, I've come to give you life to the full, the fullest kind of life, super abundant in quantity, superior in quality. It's a life that is is more, it is greater, it is exceeding. It bumps up against excessive. It's, It's more than we expect. This is the life that God created you and me for. It's the life that Jesus offers us because he's more than talk. Jesus talked about it, and then he gave himself for it so that it might happen, that we might be forgiven and live a resurrected life. My sin was forgiven when Jesus died on that cross, and my dead soul was resurrected when he walked out of the grave. When we think about
The empty tomb is, is good news for us because it means that those times in our life when our hearts feel empty, when life feels empty, that there is hope, there is good news, there is this opportunity to be transformed. Our, an empty tomb means a full life. Our, our disappointment, our misery, our heartache, our anxiety can find healing and hope because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, how he walked out of that tomb and again, life doesn't always feel that way. It's not a pain-free life, but we can have a life that is confident in who we are and in whose we are. That empty heart part of that video is the one that kind of hooks me, that gets me. I, I've had an empty tank before. I've experienced empty cartons and empty accounts, but they didn't hurt as much as, as an empty heart. About eight years ago, my heart was empty. My 20-year marriage was over. My children were without their mother. I was rejected and alone. And I had a hard time uh, even catching a breath. Grief stole my hope. Dark thoughts robbed my eyes of light. I was empty. The beginning of 2015 began a long journey of, of sadness and hurt in my world. And even as I felt empty, I was reminded that I wasn't alone. Even though I was in pain, I was rem reminded that I didn't carry that pain by myself. The Good Shepherd walked with me and his people surrounded me. I decided to trust that when Jesus said he came to give me a full life, that he meant that, that even in my pain and loss, that there was still transformation. I decided to have faith that God still cared about my life and the life of my family. I needed resurrection. I needed a new life. And God met me right there. And he's brought beautiful things since that time. When Jesus talks about the full life, talks about being our good shepherd. He means that even when we walk through the valleys, the shadow of death, even when we walk through those places, that he will be with us. We will not be alone. And that's great news for us. Jesus, in the story here, he talks about some other characters. Did you catch the other characters in the story? There's the thief and there's the hired hand, these other options that we have when it comes to how we live our lives. Jesus says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Instead of full life, we sometimes get fooled into a life of stolen joy or, or dead purpose or destroyed relationships. Sometimes when we feel empty, we'll grasp for anything close by that can distract our anxious hearts or, or try to still the fury of our minds. And God's free gift means that we can have a right relationship with him and a right understanding of ourselves, but sometimes that feels so far away from our reality that instead we just grab whatever's in front of us, whatever we can touch and see, whatever we can control, and we figure, well, this is the best we can do. We miss that the thief isn't interested in who we are. He isn't able to bring new things to us. All he can do is take from what we have. The thief can't create new life. He can only distract us from the life that we were created for and bit by bit steal what is good and what God has placed in us. 
And then there's the hired hand. And Jesus said this about the hired hand. He said, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. When Jesus said this, he was probably referring to the religious leaders of his day, those who were leading the people religiously. They were only interested in keeping tradition and forcing a system of rules upon the people so that power stayed with them with the leaders. Some truly believed that the only way to a good life was by following the rules and and checking the boxes off some religious scorecard. And Jesus was saying to these leaders, you don't really care about the sheep. You would abandon them at the first sign of hardship. And if I'm honest with you right now, I mean, I'm probably the closest thing to a hired hand in the room in this moment. I'm a religious leader and I'm hired to be here. So, I mean, you do the math. (laughs) Sounds just like it, right? It would be really tempting for me to, to walk away to like when things get rough to say, I don't, God might be doing something, but I'm not interested. I'm so thankful that God's made it clear that he wants me here, wants us here, wants us together moving forward with what God has placed before us. But that's something that all of us have to fight. We all have to be aware of that hired hand mentality that we hold in our hearts. The idea of just doing enough to get by or following rules instead of embracing a relationship. We all have to check our hearts and invite the Spirit of God to bring something new because it would be really easy for us to get preoccupied at keeping tradition, holding on to tradition instead of looking for transformation. We could easily start to focus on our religious scorecard instead of learning how to love our neighbors with all our hearts. Some of us grew up in church. We know exactly how to play the game, how to show up when we need to and make it look like we've got everything together. And Jesus says, that's the hired hand mentality. That's not the life I created you for. That's not the life I'm inviting you to. When we are invited to this full life, it means we have to leave behind the way of the thief, leave behind the hypocrisy of the hired hand. When we decide to follow the good shepherd, we're invited to something, we're invited to something better, something deeper, Something greater, an empty tomb means a full life for you and for me. And Paul would write often about this full life in the New Testament letters that he would write. I want to give you just a couple places where I see him writing about this full life. First one is to his friends in Rome. Paul wrote these words, God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. That little phrase there, triumph over sin and death, that's the full life, that we would live victorious over death, over sin. Another place where Paul writes about this full life is when he wrote to his friends in Ephesus, and he talked about how he wanted them to have Jesus dwell in their hearts, to understand the great uh, love that God has for them, how wide that love is, how long and deep and high this love is that God gives us. Paul said, I want you to know the fullness of God. And then he wrote these words down. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory. That phrase, those two adverbs there, exceedingly, abundantly, that's the full life that we were created for. That's the full life that Jesus came to give us. And I don't want you to settle for anything less than exceedingly and abundantly. 
Some of you know the story uh, that we read in the New Testament of Jesus and how he fed uh, thousands of people at a meal once. Uh, They were all gathered to hear him teach, and and they didn't have food there. And so the disciples came to him, and they had five, what did they have? Five what? Loaves of bread and two fish. So they had this little, I would not want to eat that food, but that's what they had. And uh, probably could feed a family of about five with that meal. But Jesus did this amazing thing. God did some, a miracle, and it multiplied that food, and it fed thousands of people. And after the meal was over, they started to collect the leftovers. Remember, there were leftovers at this miraculous lunch? And, and they collect 12 baskets of leftovers. And I, I think, well, that's the way our God is. Like, it was miraculous to begin with, that that many people could be fed. And, and it seems like it would have worked out so, like, the last piece of bread would go to the last person, and then everyone would be content and full with that meal. But our God is so lavish, so exceedingly abundant that he said, no, I'm going to give you more than you need. So there's leftovers at a miracle lunch. Who does that? Jesus does that because that's the kind of life he came to give us, an abundant life. It means that when the days feel empty, that, that there is more. When the relationship is difficult, there is hope. When the addiction seems unending, it means there's a way through When the decision has been made, it means that it's not final, that there is a new way that Jesus is making for us. The empty tomb means a full life for you, for me, right now, today, in this moment. Not too long after Jesus talked about this full life, a friend of his died, and he went to visit the family, and they were upset. They said, Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the full life. Death and physical life will never limit what the power of resurrection can do. And I really like how Jesus ends that. Do you believe this? It really comes down to that question for us this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe? 2,000 years ago, historians were writing about this new movement filling the streets of Rome. They called it a disease, but it was a disease that was changing hearts and transforming minds. Those who were believing that Christ Jesus came back to life. Do you believe this? I want to encourage you to think about that question today. If you don't believe it, I want you to invite God to help you Help meet you in that unbelief. There's a person in the Bible who met Jesus and said, I I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. I want to encourage you to pray that prayer. If you say, you know what, I don't know if I believe that, then invite God to help you understand, to help you embrace. If you say, yes, I do believe, then I want to encourage you to embrace the full life that you were created for. Don't settle for that empty life. Don't settle for the life of the thief or the life of the hired hand. You're invited into something better. Let's take some time right now and talk to God about this. I want to invite you, if you're sensing God moving in your heart right now, maybe you're feeling like, you know what, I have settled. Or you know what, this is something I do believe. I do want to understand that I'm forgiven because of Jesus. So let's talk to God about that right now. So I want to invite the the worship team to come back up because we're going to close with a couple songs. And I want to invite you to, to bow your heads and let's pray together. Let's talk to God together and invite him to meet us in this moment. As we think about that question, do I believe? Do I believe? Let's let's pray together. Father, I thank you for a chance this morning to gather in this place and celebrate the risen Jesus. 
to celebrate Jesus who walked this earth 2,000 years ago and, and changed and split our history and continues to change lives today. Historians tried to capture it. And here we are today because he rose again. Father, help us to believe that you came to give us a full life. And right now, Father God, if there's anyone here that is sensing your movement in their hearts, they feel you speaking to them. Maybe there's someone here who has heard the name of Jesus but never understood that they are forgiven, that Jesus gave his life that they might have life. And maybe today's the day, Father God, when, when you're calling them back to yourself. If you want to receive this, this full life that Jesus died to give you, I just want you to pray with me right now. You can use these words or whatever words come to your mind, but here's, here's one way you can pray. Father God, please forgive me for the ways that I push away from you, the ways that I go my own way. I, I choose to do what I think is best, Lord. Forgive me for my sin and rebellion. Thank you for giving me new life. And I receive the forgiveness that you offered me on the cross. Fill me with this full life, Jesus, that I might live in a new way. Father, if you are moving in hearts right now, help that prayer to, to fill our minds and hearts. And pray that you will confirm this decision. We thank you that you meet us where we are and invite us to take new steps, to walk in new ways. We pray that you would help us live this full life you created us for. We pray it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are so glad you joined us this Easter morning, whether you're here in person or streaming online. We just want to say thank you for making time to worship with us today, whether this is your first time or your five millionth time here at Hillcrest. We would love to have you come back. I'm going to invite our prayer team forward right now. Nate talked about uh, an, an empty tomb can be hope for new life, hope for a full life. And so maybe today you've been here and wondered, you know, what does it look like to begin a relationship with Jesus? You can come and pray with our prayer servants this morning. They don't have any secret sauce or magic powers. They just are people who love Jesus and want to help you know him and love him. So if you're struggling, if you have something you just want to say thank you to God for, they're here for you this morning. Let me just pray for us. God, we thank you for your resurrection power. I pray that everyone here would go in your joy, your peace, and your new life. Amen. Thanks for coming.